0: When you think about the state of the world today, what fears or concerns do you have for the future? Acts of terror, suicide
1: bombings are are one of the things that I fear the most. I would say maybe the present state of society as a whole. I just think of today.
0: How can you live out your faith in an age of crisis and instability with constant headlines of global disasters, persecution, and economic turmoil? In his book, Fearless Living in Troubled Times, Dr. Michael Youssef guides you through first and second Thessalonians
1: and shares how you too can live fearlessly in today's world. Fear is natural. Even some of the great men and women in the Bible experience fear. It's what you do with that fear. And that's really the theme of my book, Fearless Living in Troubled Times.
0: Fearless Living in Troubled Times is available now from Leading the Way. Call or visit us online at ltw.org, ltw.org, to get your copy today. The number to reach out to one of our ministry representatives is 1-300-133-589. 1-300-133-589. And of course, ltw.org, ltw.org. Hello, and welcome to Leading the
1: Way. As long as we value our comfort and our acceptability to the culture, as long as we cherish leisure and entertainment above the truth of the Word of God, as long as our likes and dislikes placed above willingness to suffer for Christ, Satan is going to have a heyday as he goes on a rampage, albeit still subtle.
0: Today, a heart to heart about the privilege of suffering for Jesus. It's part of Dr. Yusuf's life-impacting series, Identity Transformation. Listen with me as Dr. Michael Yusuf shares a disturbing example of how our culture has changed in
1: recent years. In the past three decades or so, there has been a new religion that has been sweeping across the Western world, United States, and Europe. This religion has flourished for centuries all over the world, but it began to sweep Europe and the U.S. and many Western countries in more recent times. Soon it will be a global religion. They seem to be heading that way. This relatively new religion in the West has followed us from all sections of life. Atheists belong to it agnostics belong to it, there are Roman Catholics in it, and yes, there are Protestants of all stripes belong to that religion. All have embraced its tenets and teaching. The amazing thing about this new religion is it doesn't have a founder that you can point to. It has many high priests. It has lots of priests and priestesses. These include famous celebrities, politicians, and certainly there are some bishops in some churches and pastors who have embraced this new religion. This new religion does not recognize but only one sin. One sin. If you commit that sin, you would lose your job easily. You would have your organization shut You would have campus ministry closed. You become a pariah in society. You could become threatened with ostracizing. Why? Because that one sin being a very serious sin in their books, because of this one sin being the most offensive to their sensibility, because that one sin has no mitigating factors that makes it very serious to them. The news comes from all over the globe on a daily basis, in Europe and England and United States, about those and the consequences of those who violate that sin. In England, I have somebody that I know who worked for British Airways, lost her job, nurses, people in the health industry, uh, losing their jobs, uh, all the executives… In the United States, we read daily about highly respected people, including a company CEO, who have lost their job for committing such a heinous sin. What is that religion? Well, they give it a nice, benign, and smooth name, and they call it tolerance, the religion of tolerance, sweeping across the land. If you read the fine print in that religion, it goes something like this. We are to be tolerant of every weird and devious behavior. We are to be tolerant of every religion, regardless of its vile teaching. That we are to be tolerant of every sort of immorality. And therefore, the only sin that we do not tolerate is the Bible-believing Christians who are so narrow-minded that they believe that Jesus is the only Savior, that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that Jesus is the absolute truth, that Jesus is the only revelation of the one true God. And yet, Jesus and His moral absolutes provided whenever they accepted and whenever they practiced, societies flourished, society is blessed. History proves it over and over and over again. But to them, you commit this sin of exclusivity, and you lose everything. The only way out of this, sometimes you have to work for a Christian company or a Christian boss, but I can tell you that this is coming to an end. Governments and so many corporations now have bought into this new religion as their religion. And I pray to God that what I'm about to tell you is wrong. That what I'm about to tell you is not true. It is the cry of my heart, believe me, because I care deeply, if for nothing else. I care for you, I care for my kids, I care for my grandkids. I have a hunch that the time is coming that this new religion will leave no one out. It will be imposed on companies, on Christian organizations, and yes, even churches, unless God supernaturally intervenes. I'm sure many of you probably asking the question, how in the world did we get down so far from our roots? How can a traditional Christian lands call the most loving people on the face of the earth bigots? How can they be persecuted for their belief and practice? How can a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, who founded the whole hospital movements and brought healing to the globe, not just in the West. The Christians who alleviated the pain of millions of people, who created the education system and brought education to the whole globe, the ones who brought the message of love to loveless people, those who brought a relief from all sorts of sufferings, uh, those who have brought hope to the hopeless, who exercise mercy, to the merciless, those who love their enemies and pray for their persecutors, how can they now be treated as priors? Let me tell you how. It began when the churches back yonder became apathetic about their faith. It began when churches back yonder began to water down the gospel of Jesus Christ. It began when churches… And church leaders became ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It began when apathy became a virtue. It began when we allowed the enemies of Christ to define Christianity. And the result, first of all, there was confusion among the blissfully ignorant. And then became intimidated either to be silenced or to accept these redefinitions. Now we are at a time when evil is called good and good is called evil. So what's the answer? It's no use raising the problem, what's the answer? The answer, my beloved friends, for every one of us individually and corporately to shake off apathy, and that we must begin by shaking off fear that we must begin by trusting in the power of God alone. That we must begin by kneeling on the promises of God and staying there until God answers. We must not. Be concerned by all the silly differences that we have, differences that has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ, different that has nothing to do with Christian doctrine, differences that has nothing to do with the inerrancy of the Scripture, differences that have nothing to do with the centrality of Jesus Christ as the only way to the Father. And beloved, we must also learn to grow deeper in our knowledge and obedience to the Word of God. We must be willing to suffer. Yes, you heard me right, suffer. We must be willing at least to suffer for Christ. Hear me right, please. As long as we value our comfort and our acceptability to the culture, as long as we cherish leisure and entertainment above the Word of God, above the truth of the Word of God, as long as our likes and dislikes placed Above willingness to suffer for Christ, Satan is going to have a heyday as he goes on a rampage, albeit still subtle. While we shy away and run away from any hint of suffering for the sake of Christ, Satan loves it. And the apostle Peter exalts us that we should not be surprised by suffering for Christ. I'm not talking about all sufferings. This is specific suffering for Christ. I want you to turn with me, please, to 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. Peter said, verse 12, Don't be surprised when you suffer unjustly for the sake of Christ, but rather rejoice <laughs> and consider it to be a privilege or an honor to suffer for Christ. Here's something I don't want you to forget. This is the same Peter who's writing these words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Is the same Peter who in Matthew 16, 21, 22, and 23, there on Caesarea Philippi, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and be killed, but on the third day rise to life. Here comes Peter. (laughs) Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. <laughs> this is the same Peter who said, do not be surprised when you suffer. <laughs> do you think these words, that incident on Caesarea Philippi is not burning in his memory as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write verses 12 and 13, this is the same Peter who found it strange for Christ to suffer, is now saying it's an honor to suffer for Christ. He found it strange for the pure, sinless Son of God to suffer, and yet now he says, no, it's a great honor to suffer for Christ. It's a privilege to suffer for Christ. It's a joy to suffer for Christ, because he witnessed the resurrection. Amen. (laughs) Suffering for Christ is not only a privilege, but it's always temporary. Furthermore, suffering for Christ prepares us for glory. Suffering for Christ helps us to see life in perspective. Suffering for Christ teaches us that there is an indescribable blessing, that you cannot receive it any other way other than being insulted and suffered for Christ. Look at verse 14. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Jesus put it this way in John 15, 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, the world will love its own. A man by the name of Herbert Samuel died in 1963, but he made quite a profound statement. Listen carefully. He said, It is easy to be tolerant of any principles if you have none of your own. How profound. And that is why now more than ever we have to teach not only what we believe. It's so easy to sing and it's easy to teach what we believe, but we must teach why we believe what we believe. Beloved, you and I have to understand that for 2,000 years of Christian history, there have been many who have thought the disappearance of Christianity would make the world a better place. Little do they know that when finally the church of Jesus Christ is raptured from this earth, what they're going to have and left behind with is hell itself. One of their own philosophers Richard Rortree put it this way. He said, if Christianity will not wither away, then perhaps it can be privatized, and that's what they're doing right now, and thereby remove from influence on public life, sort of like a localized, an outbreak of a plague. And yet the history proves again and again and again that Christianity flourishes best under persecution. And so the question is, What does a true Bible-believing Christian do? The answer is that we love them and then love them some more, but never surrender the truth. Invite them to come to Christ, not in anger, but in love. Invite them to repent, not in self-righteousness, but pointing them to the righteousness of the only one who died for their sin. Invite them to see that you do not reject sin in other people's lives, but you also reject sin in your life. Plead with them as one would pleads a, with a person who's trapped in a burning house. Above all, resist the temptation at any cost of becoming ashamed of the gospel. So the first... Not only to receive, we receive a special blessing, a unique blessing. When we joyfully accept suffering for Christ, secondly, he said, verse 16, he said, don't be ashamed of Christ. Be ashamed if you suffer for the wrong things that you have committed. <laughs> the shame that you should feel when you suffer as a consequence of your wrongdoing. The only shame you should experience is when you begin to reap the consequences of the things that you have sown. But even then, when you repent and turn to the Lord, He's not only going to forgive you, He's going to restore you, and He's going to use you again. But there's something here I don't want you to miss in verse 15. After he mentioned the list of evil things that people could do, even Christians, he adds a word here that literally pulled me out of my chair. He adds or includes meddlers, meddlers, Now, this is astonishing to me. I must confess, I read it, and I went back, and I looked at different. You can't get around it. (laughs) And I came to the conclusion that we cannot malign others behind their back and get away with it. Don't think that you can impugn other people's motives and get away with it. Don't think that you can ruin or tarnish someone's reputation and get away with it. Don't ever think that meddling in somebody else's life is inconsequential. In fact, God includes meddling in the same list as adultery and pride and wickedness of all sorts. So be forewarned. Be forewarned. It may be a last warning to some. Peter is saying that these subtle sins that harm our brothers and sisters in Christ they pain the heart of God and tarnish your witness. In First Thessalonians, Paul calls them troublemakers, agitators. Think about this. We ought to object to sin without being objectionable. So the first thing is suffering for righteousness has a great blessing. Secondly, suffering for our wrongdoing receives its just reward. And verse 19, thirdly, In the midst of suffering for righteousness, He will never, never, never leave you nor forsake you. Rather than taking the insult and the false accusation personally, (laughs) look at it as an opportunity to deepen your trust in God. And when you trust in God in the midst of your suffering for Him, He will free you from fear. Uh, When you trust in Him, when things do not make sense in your life, you will experience His presence with you in a unique and unusual, in a different way. When you commit yourself fully to Him in the middle of injustice and unfairness, He will set you free from anxiety and from worry. Why? Because you are walking with the Lord in obedience. And when you walk with the Lord in obedience, He is going to walk with you in your fiery furnace. He's going to show up ahead of you in the den of lions and zip the mouth of the lions. He will appear to you in the midst of your prison, whatever it may be. I want to tell you this as I come to a close. A very prominent underground church leader in China, and by the way, there are hundreds of thousands of these underground churches all over China, and they refuse to come out in the open. And this man has thousands of underground churches under him. He's a very prominent person. He came to America, and they invited him here, and they took him to all the mega churches including some of the largest, if not the largest, church in America. And they were just showing him this church and this church, and at the end of his time, they were asking him, what do you think? Here's what he said. I am so amazed at how much churches in America can accomplish without God. Without God. A. W. Tozer said that 95% of what goes on in churches will keep on going if the Holy Spirit was not there. All I did is I wept, and I said to the Lord, may this never be said of us. May never be said of us, regardless of the cost. But there may be someone here today who's kind of a, Friendly to the Christian faith and really don't know, you've never really received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you've never really understood what it means to be all in. You kind of not acquaintance to God and not an acquaintance with the church, and, and you understand that this is the only way for your eternal life. I don't want you to leave here without making that commitment. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Father. I thank you for these precious people who love you, who want to love you more with all their hearts. Father, I pray for a special anointing from heaven, for a special unction on each of them. Father, I pray that you give them strength and courage to stand and not be ashamed of the gospel. Father, that you will polish their testimony so that they will shine wherever they may go. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Dr. Michael Yusuf with a challenge to experience strength and courage. You're listening to Leading the Way. Today's message and the entire Identity Transformation series is available to stream online at ltw.org or learn about the podcast or using smart home technology to listen at ltw.org. You know, one of the many key prayer requests and concerns many of you share with Leading the Way is a passion and concern for reaching the next generation whether that be your kids, grandkids, or even your neighbours and friends. That's why we'd like to direct you to a podcast that goes head-to-head with issues facing our culture today and provides biblical answers. It's called Candid Conversations with Jonathan Youssef. Jonathan has served in Australia and the United States as pastor to up-and-coming generations. And through his conversations with guests about topics of cultural concern, you and those you encourage to listen to Candid will experience life
1: change. Our present is always going to be uncertain, but our future is guaranteed. And so God has not abandoned us. Actually, the opposite is true. God died. He was forsaken so that we would never be abandoned. Hello, and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. God used Jason's birth. He used the accident when my neck was broken and the death of my first wife. God used those events to really equip me for different phases of ministry. There's a constant healing process. I think I will always be healing from my abortion. But the more I talk about it, the more I find freedom, and the more I realize... Just how much God loves me? I don't think in the media we handle stories of faith well. Either we're just, we tiptoe so much we don't even say the truth. You know, because we don't, ooh, can we say Jesus? I, I don't, well, if that's what the person believes, yes, we should say it. Yeah. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. If you like today's episode, please share it with a friend, leave a review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform.
0: Sign up for Candid when you visit ltw.org ltw.org Well, that music means we're out of time for today. Do join us again next time, won't you? This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth.